0: This is the Off Coast podcast, where we focus on entrepreneurs, investors, and advisors located outside of the large startup ecosystems on the coasts. Now, your host, Mark Frank.
1: Well, welcome to the Off Coast podcast. I'm glad today to be with Krista Morgan from P2B Investor, and you're the co founder and CEO. As always, why don't we let you introduce yourself and give a little background about you, about the company, how it got started? Sort of the origin story,
0: right? <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, for someone who has to tell this story all the time, I'm surprisingly bad at it. <laughs> um, I, right. So, P two B, uh, P two B investor, we are crowdfunding business loans. You know, at our at our core, and our our goal was really to, to give businesses, um, you know, a better product using, if you will, like. Being able to to have a lot of people take a little bit of risk on a loan, and that changes a lot of things, and then you add technology into the mix, and next thing you know, you have a financial technology company. Mm -hmm. And uh, my background is I I really grew up in marketing and digital marketing and technology and had – other than a degree in economics, have no real qualification to be running a financial technology (laughs) company. But, you know, there was a lot of serendipity in, in our backstory. I founded the company with my dad. He learned some stuff about business lending. I knew about crowdfunding and tech and Next thing you know, we had a really good PowerPoint, and uh, four years later, we have like a real business. So it's been a kind of a wild ride.
1: <laughs> so tell me more about what makes uh, P2BI more you know, unique from some of the other alternative lending companies that are out there, particularly those that are in a fast growth stage right now, right? And so yes. they all have their own unique angle and what they're going after, um, both from the product standpoint, in terms of the type of loans that they're providing in the crowdsource crowdfunding type model versus other models. So what's the real like secret sauce of PDBI that makes it hum?
0: That is a great question. Okay, so yes, you have this term of marketplace lending, which is Super broad. You know, you've got Lending Club; they're doing consumer loans. You've got SoFi; they're doing really student loan refinancing, right? And you've got people like Funding Circle doing business loans. OnDeck would you know, last year. They're doing really small business loans. And we came into this space and we said, number one, um, we want to lend against receivables and assets. So we wanted to be in a more secured asset class mm-hmm. than a lot of these other platforms. And number two, what we've hit hit on is that we saw this gap in the market where you have all this technology being applied to smaller dollar value loans mm-hmm. that are easier for a computer yeah. to like say yeah, yay or nay on this loan. But then you have the banks, and there's actually a really big gap in the middle for high growth businesses Mm -hmm. that are having trouble getting access to capital, both access to it and then they want better technology, right? Like you're running a $5 million company, you don't want to be like faxing stuff and (laughs) scanning it. Like it sucks. And so, and that's what we're in that middle space. You know, we call it the gap between those two. We're bringing the technology of online that you know, Lending Club and OnDeck have made so great, mm-hmm. we're bringing that to a bigger size of loan. So we just closed a $5 million loan for a growing company. Mm-hmm. They, they called themselves a 10-year-old startup. And, and that's really the mentality of companies we're working with. Like yeah. They need a lot of capital. They want it fast. They want no hassle. They want to do everything online. And they want them, they, you know they just want it easier. Yeah. So that's our secret sauce.
1: Got it. So when you say that you're you know crowdfunding these business loans, yeah. there's there's got to be an aspect that's not crowdfunded, right? I mean for <laughs> if you're making five million dollars, if you're doing loans that are for a single loan is five million dollars, then there's you know your loan portfolio is much bigger than that. And so that's likely not supported solely by individual lenders who are saying, here's $25,000, here's $100,000 to lend across five or ten different companies. But rather, you need to go to some sort of institutional lenders as well, right? Whether it's hedge funds or maybe maybe it's even traditional banks. I don't know. So t- talk to me about that piece of it. And if any of this is like, hey, we're getting into too much detail about uh, how we really <laughs> succeed, then just cut me off.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. We, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. So I think number one, the term crowdfunding, it's kind of a misnomer mm-hmm. in our in our sense. You know, it's not Kickstarter. It's not everyone. Right. Anyone can invest. You know, there there are rules, uh, sadly or not sadly, depending <laughs> on your viewpoint. And so we work with accredited investors and yes, institutional investors. The thing. So and and to be honest, all of our loans are funded with other people's money. Mm-hmm. The way we get the money, whether it's directly to our company or whether it's through our marketplace changes, Mm -hmm. but it's all provided, you know, by other people. And
1: investors looking for a yield as opposed to an equity return.
0: Exactly. So it's all about it's all about yield. It's all about them, you know, getting access. And we've got the deal is, you know, they give us their money. We find good quality deals and we manage them really well. But the thing that I just love about it is with technology, you know, we can take a $5 million loan and any other lender in the world really is going to look at that $5 million loan. They're going to say, okay, I'm really cautious because if I, if this, if something goes wrong, I'm out 5 million Mm bucks. Whereas using technology, we're able to take a $5 million loan and, you know, as an accredited investor, you can put a hundred bucks into it, a thousand, twenty-five thousand. We're syndicating that risk mm-hmm. amongst a lot of people, and that lets us do stuff yeah. that a, a traditional lender can't do. And and I I sort of harp on this a lot because I think it's really interesting and exciting. Uh, most people don't all agree with me, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but <laughs> what can I say?
1: <laughs> well, I like it. I mean, it, it's a unique way to provide. Investors who are looking for yield, but are often not wanting to go into a traditional fixed income fund, where given today's rates, you're not going to get much of a return, and they have a higher risk tolerance, or at least have a slice of their own portfolio allocation that they want to provide and, and put into that higher, that higher risk scenario. And I think you've had really good success with the loans that you've written, and you know very low, you know default rates and things like that.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to knock on this fake Ikea, yeah, I a fake right. Ikea wood and say, we're running, a, we're running a zero. We've got zero losses in our portfolio wow, right now. That's great. Yeah. Which is something we're really proud of. Um, but it does, it does take time. And, and actually one of the challenges that we face as a business is that it doesn't just take time. It takes people mm-hmm. to underwrite and look at the deals and make sure they're good. And, yeah. you know, that poses a challenge in this world where uh, a lot of equity funding is saying hey you know you should be able to scale with zero people which you know you and i know is never true right (laughs) ever but there's this perception that is it scalable if you have a human underwriting a deal and my point is yes you just have to make those humans efficient and over time you know over time yes machine learning and the magic of technology may eliminate the need for for all people but we're not there yet, right? And I, and I and I sort of get on my soapbox about how that doesn't necessarily make for a bad business. You just have to make sure the economics are there to support it.
1: Yeah, I, I think that there's been this huge swing in the pendulum from a lot of VC investors, and I would say even it's primarily the less sophisticated VC investors because the really good ones understand that hey, we're investing in a business. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's you know we can put any label we want on it, whether it's SaaS. Whether it's you know data company, whether it's machine learning, wh- whatever we want to put on it, at the end of the day, there has to be profit. so that's a good transition into you know you're raising capital now and have gone through to a certain degree the traditional fundraising path of early stage friends and family closely connected investors to maybe a broader set of individual and smaller institutional investors to now. Uh, The path is towards, you know, a larger institutional round of equity investment. So this is clearly a a financial tech, fintech company. And here we are in Denver, Colorado, where there is not historically a lot of fintech, much less even a lot of finance. Um, So talked about those challenges in terms of trying to find investors and, you know, where you've where you found struggles and where you have found, you know, actually really positive results from that. Yes. If there I'm, have been any. I, <laughs>
0: it, is, it is definitely harder. What we found is... Ideally, what we try to do is we'll find like some you know spokespersons. When you are doing an angel round, we'll find you know an angel investor who really gets it, and then you know he'll tell some of his friends, and mm-hmm. then you know next thing you know you've got a little syndicate going yep. um, because one person really understood the model and and agreed with it. Um, it is hard as a fintech company raising has been. It's been hard raising institutional capital. Mm-hmm. I think on a couple of fronts, like one in a series a round i've i now understand that a lot of vcs want to do it closer to home because mm-hmm. they don't necessarily it's not a big enough investment to necessarily want to be getting on a plane right. to denver once a month to for you know board for meetings. board meetings yeah. and and it, they feel like there's so many companies in their backyard why not you know do that yep And then the the VCs that are local to Colorado have never done fintech before. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, we have a different business model. You know, we really looked at the other marketplace models that were out there and said, they're great. No one's going to complain that Lending Club IPO'd at 27x revenue. Amazing. However, you know, they did that kind of barely profitable and our point is we wanted a business model that was going to be more profitable from the outset that Mm -hmm. maybe didn't require hundreds of millions of dollars for (laughs) marketing you know yeah to be able to to do that and so that choice has made us different Mm -hmm. that difference i'm learning her it It hurts you. You know, it's not you don't tick a box in the same way. And then Mm -hmm. you add on to it that you have a first time CEO who doesn't come from a finance background. And, (laughs) you know, the 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 box, there are fewer and fewer boxes being ticked on the institutional round side. So that has definitely been a challenge for us.
1: So how do you mitigate that? How do you mitigate that geography issue and the fact that I mean, there's clearly there's a series A crunch regardless of the industry you're in. And so the fact that you're in you're in an industry that doesn't have a huge component of institutional investors geographically, what have been some of the techniques and the successes you've had in sort of getting that done?
0: So number one, I you know, I became a Southwest a uh, ALS preferred member this year for <laughs> being on so many planes. Yeah. Uh, so you definitely get on a lot of planes when you're here. Um and and then, you know, I would say actually we've we're now revamping our strategy and saying that for this A round we're we're not necessarily going to go institutional anymore. We're yeah. looking to do another angel round. And I actually, I have a theory that with the Series A crunch, mm-hmm. we're going to start to see more later stage companies doing more angel rounds. Probably because mm-hmm. I think angel investors, it's harder for them to it's easier to look at a company with revenue and metrics and say yes i'm going to put my money in even though the valuation is higher than yeah. to to write these checks to pre revenue companies and i don't know i actually i wonder what's going to happen because it's like my deal is going head to head with i've got friends who are raising from the same group of angels mm-hmm. you know us at a much you know sort 4 million in revenue mm-hmm. and them at pre pre revenue yeah, right. And how do you really compare the two? But I think angel investors are going to start to see like a wider swath of deals because I think VCs are really moving, you know, moving up. Yeah, moving Um, up market. We're seeing that all the time. And I think our challenge is, it's taking, I think all companies, you're in the Series A stage, you've got some traction, but who's to say whether you're going to be that home run? And you know the vcs have like i said they they have they have a formula for what makes that right it's yep. like your business model looks like lending club's business mm-hmm. model and you know your ceo's done it before yep. and they're you know you're in you're in the valley you've got these connections mm-hmm. it's just and so they're like that makes you more likely so yep. i think they're not saying you're never going to make it they're just saying you might make it, but yep. we're not. We're not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I, you know, I get it. But with angel, with our because we've done so well, we've returned. We've already returned our first round of angel investors. We've already done really well. Mm-hmm. So now to go out and do a second angel round becomes a lot easier because now I, I may not have a track record with the VCs in doing this, but I have a track record with a group of angel investors by yeah. saying, Hey, I took your money once mm-hmm. and actually now we have a company that's five X the size it was right. then. How about yeah.
1: from a valuation standpoint, you've yeah. already achieved you know that goal. And so now, exactly. and that was in a three year period or whatever. And yeah. now we're going to get the next five X from that. All right. And so yeah. let's continue to add on. I mean, the, the, Challenge must be, and I'm speaking for you, so stop me, <laughs> but the challenge must be that, you know, obviously the size of the check that the angels yes. can write is much lower. And so you either have to get more of them or you have to somehow convince them to write bigger checks, which is often not even a convincing thing. It's just may not be in the cards.
0: So I totally agree. And trust me that when you set out to raise $3 million of angel money, you have this moment where you're like, Oh God, how many, how many meetings do I need to have, you know, at $50,000 a meeting if I'm lucky to, to do this, but we have, so I am learning a lot about fundraising from family offices. Like there are groups out there that will do equity. You just, a lot of it's about you know, expanding your perception of who an equity investor is, yep. and making your case, and and for us, we think a lot about you know what's the downside protection. How can because family offices they're in the same boat. Like yeah. they want to make a return, but ultimately they don't want to lose principal. That's what I mean. I'm mean, yeah speaking
1: yeah. specifically about family offices, right? Because yeah. they they'd rather have that principal returned. You know, yeah. it's like they know this is an this is a risky part of their portfolio, right? No. A large family office that's got. or more, they've got all the asset classes covered. And they've got them covered in a variety of ways. They're investing in funds. They're investing in real estate. They're investing in public equities and public debt, et cetera, et cetera. This is another sliver of that investment strategy. That all said, if they can limit the risk and have tremendous upside on top of it, that's what they're looking for.
0: Yes, I will say I've noticed that it, te- it tends to be then that the valuation you don't get to command the same kind of valuation. That's exactly right because yeah. of it, and so it's a trade-off, right? But at the end of the day, when you run a business, and you need capital. Like what 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 we care about now, what we're saying is okay. This we try to learn some lessons as we go through our, our you know sort of PwI life cycle, and mm-hmm. one of the things we've learned is. We understand there's going to come a time when the VCs are going to want to give us money. We're looking at a market cycle that's somewhat uncertain. And so I don't know if it's going to be next year. I don't know if it's going to be the year after. But I know it's going to come. So what we're saying is, how can we take money today and make that really last us? Mm -hmm. Can we be cash flow positive? At earlier than you might expect, like, a venture-type company to go cash flow positive. Mm -hmm. Because there is uncertainty, you know, there's a lot of talk about us being at the top of a cycle and, Mm -hmm. you know, that the next two years are not going to see private company valuations and, you know, as big checks being written, although you never know with Uber. Yeah, I know. And there's $62 billion valuation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's so crazy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what I'm saying, so... I don't know. And so I think that's how you change your thing. It's like, okay, we take a lower valuation, we take the money that we need, and then we don't raise again until our valuation will command the kind of growth, you know, until our growth numbers will command the sort of valuation that we want. And we've got runway and a company that operates reasonably profitably to do Yeah. Well, at that
1: point, your funding options open up considerably. Because then as a cash flow positive company – depending where you are, right? Yeah. You could say well, we're still on the extreme growth trajectory, but we don't want to go to a traditional VC or we do, but we want to we, we also want to talk to growth equity firms, right? Who are going yeah. to say, yeah, we're going to value you in in not the sort of traditional private equity later stage model, but also not in the venture capital model, but we're, we're not going to come in with, you know, these terms that are super onerous and require only this specific type of exit and the return of capital in this way. Yeah. Um so yeah, so it's it's always a trade-off.
0: It is. And I think the the scary thing, at least the scary thing for me on it is what I worry about is if we become cash flow positive, if you know we don't you know, we don't take the growth around soon enough, will that mean that we're barred from having one of these crazy upside exits? Like I think that's the can you is it even possible to get one of these, you know, 20, you know, call it 20X yeah. revenue exits if you didn't go that path. And and I don't know the answer to it. And mm-hmm. and I think that's just the fear because we're all sort of saying, well, we would like to be that person that can build this huge company and exit. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: Well, it's also, I mean, one of those considerations is the reason that those valuations come to play is because of the speed of growth, yeah. right? And and that you get credit for that. You could have two companies that have the exact same snapshot you know, the P&L from two different companies, and if one got there in 24 months and the other got there in 48 months, all else equal, the one that got there in 24 months is going to have a considerably higher valuation than the one that got there in 48 months. That doesn't mean the one that got there in 48 months is a worse company. And in fact, the one that got there in 48 months might be a better company because they've learned more
0: yeah. and they
1: have a more seasoned team, not just the management team, but the entire company is more seasoned. They've gone through, they've made more mistakes on somebody else's dime. So those are considerations that I think some some angel investors don't really think about. And, you know, I know that a lot of less experienced VCs don't think about it as well.
0: Yeah, no, it's a, it's interesting. And I will tell you that not having the money, like we've sort of been thinking we would raise this VC around really all year, right? Mm-hmm. It's, we're, it's December. You know, we kind of went out, you know, early in the year to start talking about it. And yet this year where we haven't had any kind of war chest, any kind of, you know, hey, here's money we can just spend and do yep. all kinds of crazy stuff. But we still grew mm-hmm. like crazy. Yeah. And that was a real eye opener, like, actually, maybe we don't need as much money as we think we need. And, you know, like maybe you don't need, you know, crazy, fancy offices and, you know, millions of dollars in marketing. Like, would I like it? Sure. But now I know that the day I have that, if I ever have, you know, millions of dollars to to drop into marketing, we will know a lot more what we're going to do with it. Mm -hmm in a way that we only know because we have so little budget, we have to just figure shit out. Yeah, you know? totally. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah.
1: I like it. Uh, this has been really informative, you yeah. know, understanding some of the challenges for a company that's in this space that has some very specific types of investors and, and some how you, how you combat that. And, yeah. you know, I think it's not even combating it, it's just how you work around it, right? Yeah. In the same vein, you also have investors who are lenders. And so... That's different because they're not investing; they're not equity investors. They're you're providing a lending platform for them. But I got to imagine that, particularly on the institutional side, but maybe even on the accredited investor side, as individuals, finding them has got to be half. I mean, you, you have you have two sets of customers, right? You have customers who you're lending to, and then you have customers who are providing the capital, and, and you're the marketplace in between them. And you're more than a marketplace, I understand, but yeah. very simplistically. That's the model. Right. So how do you find those lenders uh, in in a market that, again, doesn't have, especially in the institutional side, but even not as many in just a relatively smaller market like Denver?
0: So I think like all, and I I mean, I can't say I'm an expert on double-sided platforms, but I'm at least more of an expert than a lot of people. And I'm starting to think that for the most part, there's always one side that's a little bit easier, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you're Uber, you know, at the end of the day, I talk to drivers all the time and they're like, we can make our own hours and we get paid. Yep. It's like it's a relatively easy proposition, and in the same way, when I go to an investor in a market with like basically no interest rate returns, and say, "Hey, we'll pay you twelve percent, and we'll give you sixty-day liquidity in a secured asset class, and our portfolio has zero losses," yeah. this that it's not a sale. <laughs> that resonates. It, and you know, yeah, you just say, "Hey, here are the facts," yeah. and. Um, And our real challenge on the marketplace has been how do you originate good quality deals? How do you talk to a CEO who does have different financing options and say, hey, look, we think ours is the best and here's why. Um, And so on the investor side, we do have both institutional and accredited. And, you know, marketplace lending is still a pretty small world. Mm -hmm. So I'd say for the most part, people come to us. We're, We're doing no like traditional sales as you might imagine it on that side it's very much you know relationship driven and you know we have fun and now and now too once you sign one hedge fund then another hedge fund wants to come in yeah well they yeah
1: i mean imagine that they're using it as because of the 60 day liquidity a little bit of their their bank account right i mean not exactly but they need to get a return you'd be surprised
0: when i first started this business i thought oh people are 60 day liquidity everyone's gonna be having like there no one's gonna have a money market account anymore. They're just gonna right. use us. But really hasn't been like that. People want the long term. Mm. They want they like getting a check from us every month.
1: Yeah, they want the 4 percent yeah,
0: that's coming in. So we've seen a lot what we do see is people kind of shifting between deals, mm-hmm. that there's a lot more like activity on the platform than I anticipated. But um, yeah, it's been surprisingly, it's a much more we have much more like long term partners yeah. uh, than I would have thought.
1: Great. What's been the most surprising thing? You you've, you just told me earlier before we mm-hmm. started recording that this is right around your one-year anniversary of being the CEO. Mm-hmm. So all of 2015, basically, what's been the biggest positive surprise that you've experienced?
0: That is an excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what has been the most positive surprise? You know, I think a huge and not that I I didn't think our our team would be behind me but there is something surprising and very wonderful about having a team that just like believes you can do anything. Mm-hmm. And I, and it really changed from being co-founder, you know, as co-founder and COO and then being co-founder and CEO. You know, as soon as I stepped into that CEO role, it's like you have this group of people behind you and you say, you know, you say it's not that you say jump and they say how high, but it's mm-hmm. not far from that. You know, yep. you're like, hey, I want to go do this. This is what I believe. And they're like, yeah, we're with you. Like, we'll follow you into the yeah. fire. And and it's surprising, wonderful, and then also a big burden. Uh, you know, you feel the responsibility yeah. of that. Like, it's humbling, right? Yes, yeah. very. And, and that they just really, you know, believe in me in a way that there are days that, you know, I don't believe in myself. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't expect the shift in kind of team – Support and kind of just faith to be so different, yeah. between the two, between roles. the two roles, I and mean, because yeah. they're
1: both clearly very senior roles, I mean, yeah, exactly. The COO to the CEO is not yeah. an uncommon yeah. change,
0: but and I think too the outside world perception changed right. a lot. You know, it's people like, oh, you're the CEO, and I'm like. I really just do normal stuff most of the time. <laughs> like I have a lot of still crappy jobs I have to do. It's not very glamorous the CEO life. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: what's been the biggest learning point in that time?
0: I think I think there's a lot of learning. I'm a so I'm very transparent and mm-hmm. I communicate a lot. And I've had to learn to be more mindful about how I communicate things because when I say things People listen mm-hmm. and they act, and so it's not like you know. I used to able to sort of write something, and be like, "Oh, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could do X, Y, and Z?" And mm-hmm. you know, now if I do that without kind of putting some guidelines on it, you know, all the team of people the next day who are like, "Hey, we're we're ready to yeah. go do it's this." It's a directive, <laughs> yes, and and whereas it might have just
1: that, been an idea that you had that you wanted to get push back on
0: exactly you yeah. know and and that trying to make sure that you get you know push back from people that you know i'll say something and they'll say okay and i'm like no no not okay like tell me what's wrong with because i know i'm not right all the yeah. time like so i want to hear it and yeah so i'd say that's been challenging just being mindful what mm-hmm. i say how i say it who i say it to yeah you know that especially now we're 24 people, it's different than when we were six people mm-hmm. or 10 people, yeah. you know, it, it's it's different. So. so
1: there's a CEO here in Denver who I really respect who talks a lot about vulnerability and being open with everyone, but really, especially with your employees and with your team and showing, you know, personal vulnerability as well as the vulnerability of the company. So you talk a lot about transparency and I know this is a little bit of, you know, hopefully a softball question, but, you know, I I want to hear kind of how you embody that because I think you do a lot of that.
0: Yeah, well, I, I do try to. Um, I do a lot of writing, so I'm a big proponent that writing writing has saved me as a CEO in terms of just giving me time to think, you know, just it's such, it's such a therapeutic exercise for me. And, and the way I write, the way I started writing and now I, you know, write more publicly was really an internal newsletter. And so I write probably three, usually three times a week and an email to my team. And like this morning's email was all about how I'm going to send out a shareholder letter and say, Hey, I know I've been telling you we're going to raise a, VC round but actually we haven't been able to mm-hmm. and I'm really disappointed about that and to be honest I take it as a point of failure on my side and so now we're going to do this private round here you know here's what's going on and mm-hmm. but you know that's hard and and I said that to my team I was like hey I've got, I've been procrastinating writing this because I don't want to tell them all because I don't want to get, you know, people to say, oh, well, it's because you're not a good CEO or yeah. it's because you're not a good company or for and not that I think our shareholders would do that, but that that's the fear. Mm-hmm. And so it's things like that that I I do believe in sharing that with your team. And yeah. then, you know, they get it so that when I if I come in and I'm sort of having a bad day, they're like, oh, we know Chris is going through this mm-hmm. and it just makes you human. Yeah. And I think being human with each other leads to just you know better conversations. Frankly, yeah. less of the kind of up here like, "Hey, everything's great." Like mm-hmm. most of the everything, time, everything's not great. Yeah, like the sometimes rah, it's either amazing or it's usually not great. Yeah.
1: The rah rah <laughs> CEO is not, especially in an early stage company, is often yeah. counterproductive. right? So, what was the response from your you know from your team from sort of this? Not a bombshell. That's that's overblowing you, yeah. right? But this admission of uh, your own disappointment in yourself.
0: You know, honestly, I'd say a couple of people, you know, a couple of people wrote back and they were like, hey, don't beat yourself up about it. Like, yeah. you know, we're all in this together. And usually the thing is, though, that you don't get a response a lot yeah. of the time. You just every every day you incrementally gain their trust mm-hmm. and that, you know, they get you and they feel like they're supporting you and yeah. you know i usually whenever i write try to say like i'm doing this and oh by the way you know i'm going to take responsibility for this but we're we want to start to roll out a program where everyone in the company takes ownership for their number mm-hmm. you know we start to everyone's got a number and they're all accountable to someone and and it's about saying we're going to do this and then it's okay if you fail yeah Because you know we're we're all all in it together. Yeah, like we all fail. I fail. Everybody fails. (laughs) And and speaking about failure is
1: is the first way to let people understand that it is okay to fail. Exactly. And and that and that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and
0: it's it's, not the end of the world. Like company's still here. Yeah, Yeah, like
1: there's going to be mistakes, and that's how we get better. Exactly. I think that's a really important point because a lot of a lot of first time CEOs and second and third and fourth time CEOs and founders in general believe that we need to put this happy wrapper around everything that's going with the company, particularly to the employees. It's almost like those are the people who find out about the troubles of the company last. And I've done this myself in companies that that I've run, where I felt like I needed to protect my team from the bad news. And in retrospect, and what I've learned and what you've already done intuitively is that that's almost the worst way to go, right? And being having that openness and having, sharing that, not really sharing the burden, but that's the best way I can think of putting it, really brings everybody closer together and and helps improve the company.
0: Yeah, and it's new. And there are times, like, our board actually gets my morning emails. And there are times I'll write something and I'll get an email from a board member and they'll be like, hey, like, you shouldn't have shared quite that. And actually, there is this, like, leadership uh, kind of or you know like things that you don't talk to people mm-hmm. about until you're ready and and I get that and I definitely think there's balance and I I think often get the balance wrong which is which I'm fine That's with fine. um you know but uh because there are you know and it's like you know when you have things like your your cash situation is tight like how yeah. much do you tell and I'll be like hey we're watching cash mm-hmm. and I might not be like actually yeah.
1: we're we've like... got three payrolls left <laughs> yeah. so yeah. Don't, Don't go look for another job because <laughs> the minute you start doing that, you're already going foot out the door. You know that. That's exactly. The balance, and right? so, how do
0: you? How, yeah. How do yeah. you sort of find that balance? And and I think the truth is now what I have is a core leadership team, mm-hmm. sort of eight people that they get a more candid version, and then mm-hmm. you know we we send out a slightly sanitized version to the team. Although you know we're office in. Seventeen hundred square feet, so it's hard to have secrets. And I guess that's my (laughs) feeling too: is it's hard to have secrets in a startup. Yeah. So why do it? You know, why try? Yeah. (laughs) Spend a lot
1: of energy trying to keep them secret.
0: Yeah, and people notice. You know, we had a we had a time where I mean, a bunch of HR issues, and there was like a lot of closed doors in the office. And we had we had a retro, yeah, and people were like, "What's happening?" Like we've seen all these closed doors. We're like, well, no, it's just HR stuff that you know we don't want everyone to hear, but people notice. People
1: think the worst too. Mm -hmm. They immediately jump to the. More, you know, the doomsday scenario and say, exactly. well, what's really going on?
0: Yes. So, yeah, exactly right.
1: Perfect. This has been really good. Um, <laughs> I don't want to take up too much of your time, but if there's any other learnings you've had over the last year or advice you have for other entrepreneurs or even just any plug for potential businesses looking for alternative <laughs> lo- loans or investors who are looking to come onto the platform – Uh, I just want to give you a few minutes to do that. And if there's nothing, then that's cool, too.
0: Uh, Well, no, it has been a real pleasure um, talking about this. And I would say, yes, obviously, if you need a million dollars in your business, make sure you come talk to us first. Um, But I think I would just share uh, a I'm a big proponent of women who start up Mm -hmm. and sort of promoting the female CEO. So just know that. If, you, if any women out there, you know, are sort of looking for someone to talk to, then I'm always happy to do that. And, uh, and you I'll have, give a podcast. A, I have a podcast. I'll plug our podcast, yeah. the Women Women Who Start Up Radio that I run with Liz, Lizelle Van Vuren, who runs this awesome Women Who Start Up group.
1: Which is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. It's
0: <laughs> great. We, are, we still, we have to kick off season two. We're a bit slow in starting it, but we <laughs> have a couple other things going on. Yeah, inside. exactly. And you know, I really, I think that's it. It's been a lot of fun. So I'm glad to have been here. Well, thanks so much, Kristen. Thank you here.